start, I thought maybe we could introduce ourselves, eh? And then people can get to know who we are. So do you want to share what your name is and where you live and what your expression of life looks like? Like, how do you, do you live just by yourself or there's a few other people that live with you, eh? Do you want to tell everyone about that? As you may have heard when you see it, my name's Isla Pesta. And I live in Wellington, Thornton. Oh, yes! Hill Street, and there's a few other houses where I live. I live in the first house, house one. Oh. It's also house two, house three, house four, house five, and house six. Wow. <laughs> and what do you do with the people in the other houses? Um, when they come over, I'm, I sometimes let them play, because I like playing. <laughs> and do you guys, do you guys eat together? Yeah. Do you, do you pray together? Yeah. Do you do that like every day? That's incredible. Wow. Cool. And then you also had a really amazing story about a time when you prayed for a friend. Do you want to share that with everyone now? Okay. Cool. So, once at New Wine... Does um, everyone know what New Wine is? It's yeah. like the new summer wine, which was like way back in the day. But it's a cool camp that happens in January for lots of, for lots of churches eh, across New yeah. Zealand. So there, you got to pray for someone. I got to pray for a friend called Iris, and like when my dad for me into like space, where Iris was and a few other people were. Um, my um, my dad asked me to pray for her because he'd been praying for about twenty something minutes. And it didn't really work. And <laughs> <laughs> I prayed, um, it, it healed the knees straight away. Wow. And she just jumped up. That's incredible. First, she was like sitting down, with, um, not with her legs crossed, just out. Then she just got up and Jumped. Yeah. That's so and great. I was a bit surprised when that happened. <laughs> like, wait, did that really work? That's cool. And that's how I healed my friend Iris' knees. So we come from this place, which is really cool. We hold the same uh, DNA, which is beautiful. Um, so Isla and I are going to tag team a little bit to share this story. But in reflecting, I thought, my word, it goes back way further than just this one prayer. And so I wanted to share that story with you all tonight. Um, Hannah, I'd love for you to pray for my eyesight because I'm super blind and didn't bring my glasses tonight. <laughs> so I will have to hunch a bit, sorry. Um, so the story here... Uh, 
is a story of hope and courage, and it's got multiple prayers woven through it, some for healing, some for other things. Um, just by way of warning, it does talk about miscarriage, so if you're someone who has struggled with that in the past or is in that space now, just please be aware. So, some background. We've got some beautiful photos to give you a bit of uh, picturesque storytelling. So, I'm married to this guy on the left, not Era. And it was a beautiful Christmas we shared together. Um, so, that's Andy. He's, he's pretty great, eh? Kelly and Richard live with Andy and I in our little love. Spoiler. Um, yeah, he's pretty great. So, we've been married since 2008. Wow. Yeah, when were you born? January the 3rd, 2012. Yeah, so a bit, bit longer than that. <laughs> well, we still love each other too, so that's pretty incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in 2012, we decided that it would be a great idea to start a family. After six months of trying for not fun, but actually to achieve a task, we, <laughs> we did get pregnant, which was awesome. Um, but unfortunately, we miscarried in September, and as heartbreaking and frustrating uh, as that was, I was just so aware that the rate of miscarriage in this nation and the world is so extremely high, and so um, put that down to bad luck. And so we got back on the wagon, for want of a better word. Um, we became pregnant again in January, so about four months after, and then uh, nine weeks after that. Uh, miscarried a second time and that was just absolutely devastating I think two in, in such quick succession um, I was probably quite young at that time and I didn't have a lot of friends who had been on that journey and um, it felt so disheartening and so rubbish um, but I was really really committed to that not being something that we would have to face a third time without getting some professional help so we uh, went and saw some fertility specialists. Thank you, that's great prompting, actually. Awesome. Uh, so Andy and I met with um, some uh, fertility specialists, and we did the first panel of tests, which they kind of just go through and make sure you don't have anything really standing out obvious that is going to get in the way of you being able to get pregnant. Um, and we were told to kind of go it away, give it another really good go for a good six months, and then if nothing happens, then come back and we'll do the next round of tests. So we did that, and maybe two months into that six-month period, um, I got a what I thought was a really bad chest infection. Turns out it was just a really bad cough, and I needed to harden up a bit. Um, but I went to see my doctor thinking that... Um, I had this really bad chest infection and I needed the drugs to cure me. And my doctor wasn't actually there, and so I saw a locum who was maybe two years older than me. I don't know if anyone's been to the doctor when you're seeing someone who is super similar in age, and it is quite frightening um, <laughs> to think that they have all the skills in the world to help you. Um, but Nevertheless, this, this guy did, Dr. John, and he is still my fave GP now. Um, but he uh, said, yeah, basically, you've just got a nasty cough. You probably just need to rest. And then um, he said, but hey, what are you doing to treat your thyroid? And I was like, what even is that? Uh, and he looked at me and was like, you've got a really bulging neck. And I was like, oh. It's <laughs> not something super flattering to say. Um, but, Becca, do you want to just show us his next photo? Oh, the one before that. Oh, the other one, sorry. This one here. So, didn't 
didn't know, but actually I was really unwell right here. Um, and this was in January 2013. So as you can see, my neck is quite excessively large. Um, and very so, it's, it's what? It is very big. It's very big. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> um, so we arranged to get an urgent scan of my neck and had some other tests and I was diagnosed with an autoimmune condition called Graves' disease. It's um, named after a dude, Robert Graves, not because you're going to the grave. <laughs> but it does mean that you're trying to manage um, a condition called hyperthyroidism. So everything is going at a million miles a minute. Um, your blood pressure, your heart rate is just through the roof. Um, you're rapidly losing weight. I thought I was just making really good choices. <laughs> Isn't true? Um, and, yeah, you're, I mean, in some situations, you can be an extreme risk of uh, heart issues. Um, having a heart attack, and I think I was in my 20s at the time, so that wouldn't have been ideal. So it can be really serious if you don't get it treated. Um, but the specialist explained that treatment was really straightforward, and um, you basically just need to take something that will um, suppress the overproduction of your thyroid hormone. And so we gave that a go for six months, and it just wouldn't regulate. Um, I was always capable of making it overproduce um, what it needed to. So we couldn't get it under control with any medication. And then the next step was to have this radioactive iodine treatment, which sounds intense, but it really wasn't. It was just like a cap of radioactive iodine. And someone puts it in a funnel down your throat so it doesn't touch the sides of your neck or anything. And then you swallow it. And um, I remember Andy and I had to sleep in separate rooms for a week because it's in your system and you, like, sweat it out. Quite gross, um, and have different toilets for that week as well. It was, it was quite weird. But then we couldn't try again um, for six months after that to make sure it had completely flushed out of your system. So in that time, it was just a lot of waiting because we didn't even know if it had worked. And the idea was that the radioactive treatment would um, essentially chop off a bunch of the thyroid, and then it would be left to function as it needed to. After that, nothing happened. <laughs> so. So we've had two failed treatments, we're a year into this course of um, trying to deal with this thing and we still desperately want to expand our family. If uncontrolled, this condition is virtually impossible to maintain a healthy pregnancy, so even if you wanted to try and get pregnant, we'd probably go back to the same scenarios that happened the first two, two times. So the last resort was having it surgically removed. Uh, I was scheduled to have surgery at the beginning of October 2015 to have it taken out. Um, and I think there's a photo there, um, Rebecca, the one of Isla and I. This is one month before that surgery. We were pretty good mates, eh? That was cool. That was cool. I think that was one of your birthday parties. It was great. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was. Um, so... My surgeon was really, really clear and quite upfront that a very small um, risk was permanent brain, uh, permanent brain damage. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> permanent damage to my vocal cords. Um, and so, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, so permanent damage to my vocal cords. The surgery went totally fine, and in recovery, I couldn't speak, which was a bit normal. And so, a few days later, he came back to reassess. And I still didn't have any um, any ability to produce any noise. Just a whisper. Um, my surgeon suggested that we just give it a little bit more time, and then we had a follow up in two weeks. Um, and at that appointment, I still didn't have anything. And so, 
I think at the time I was most frustrated because I couldn't use the drive-through. <laughs> you actually can't. Make it whatever. It's really hard when you've just got a whisper to work with. Um, I remember feeling so gutted, um, and my surgeon felt really gutted too. But at the time, um, I think a lot for him, he had said he'd only had one other patient who had sustained permanent vocal cord damage, and she had had like a, um, for want of better terminology, like a robotic implant to help the vibrations be amplified as noise. So, um, kind of like a Stephen Hawking vibe. Um, and so for him, he was like absolutely gutted that this was going to impede on his like success rate of his surgical, <laughs> surgical things. And I'm sure he felt great compassion for me, but um, at the time I was working as an HR manager and a lot of my role was heavily relying on me being able to use my voice. I don't know if you've been to an interview where someone can't actually ask you any questions. It's quite challenging. So... Um, I think I'd given up a little bit of hope. Uh, we were at Blueprint, and um, and everyone was praying for us. I remember um, a lot of people were just saying, we'll continue to pray for you. And that felt really encouraging. Um, and then at the end of October, so at the start of October, I had the surgery. End of October, we go to Blueprint Camp, which if you haven't been, you've got to go. There's some incredible things that happen there. If nothing more than Mr. Whippy, it's a jolly good time, right? Oh, sorry, this is a surprise. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. So on Saturday afternoon, we were hanging out with our dear friends, the painters. I could only kind of talk with one person at a time because I had a whisper. And so I remember sitting outside uh, and having a wee bit of a chat to the painters. And then Isla looked at me and was kind of like, do you remember what you said? She looked at me and I had this like bloody scab right across my neck from where my, my um, stitches had been recovering. Said, Why is it so red? I remember that's what I said. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure you even used the word gross. <laughs> <laughs> but Isla was three and a half. It was pretty incredible. And so Anne's had actually explained to her, she'd said, uh, had this surgery on her voice. Um, on her throat and it's really sore and red and she's got no voice and then Isla said I'll pray for you just like that and then do you want to say do you want to share what you prayed? I think I remember saying dear Jesus please help my friend Cindy's voice get back up again and yeah. that it would be healed it's hmm. a pretty great prayer right? All those people who think you need fancy words, you don't. It's great. They're good, but you don't always need them. So I, just reflecting on that, I think we were all kind of awestruck that no one had prompted this small person, but she had the courage to believe that her father would do something miraculous. It was so lovely. Um, so Still so grateful. Um, that was the joy that was in that moment, because my voice didn't come back straight away. And... Um, it actually took a really long time. The next couple of months were filled with a lot of anxiety and a lot of, what am I going to do with my life? What jobs don't require you to talk? Um, I'd stopped asking for prayer and actually just resigned to the fact that this would just be my life now. Um, and my surgeon had already put in plans, place plans to look at other things that could help me have some kind of amplified thing. So it um, kind of seemed a bit pointless. 
Um, in late January, I was driving to the mighty Upper Hutt. Is anyone from Upper Hutt? Woo! Yeah! yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Shot hands. Um, yeah, the mighty Upper Hutt. I was actually helping support a not-for-profit um, out there called Prison Fellowship. Um, if anyone's heard of them, they have recently rebranded uh, and been re-established. They're now known as um, Te Korowai Kokokono. And they do incredible work with helping um, people who are incarcerated maintain relationship with their children. Um, and so if you do have an opportunity to check them out, I really encourage today. They are amazing people who do a lot. Um, but I was able to do some support work for them so that my days weren't completely wasted. And driving out there, it's like, it's like a 40k drive. So there was a lot um, that I could be doing at that time, like thinking and listening to the radio, and I remember putting on the radio, and I think it was, if I remember right, One Direction, were kind of at the peak oh. of their career, yeah, yeah, I'm not ashamed, and so I'm a real fan of mainstream pop. One Direction's good. One, right? One Direction is good. It's good. <laughs> you got me, you got me. Um, and so I turned on the radio, heard this song, and I just started singing along. And it took me quite a while to register, like probably a few Ks, that I was actually making some audible gunk coming out of my throat, um, and that it was more than just what I had had. Um, and it was noise. So praise the Lord, there was like some movement there, and from there it continued to improve. Um, but this was like four months after my surgery. Um, and so Andy and I had my follow-up appointment with a surgeon around Next Steps. And this guy, when I walked in there and started using my voice, nearly fell off his chair. <laughs> he was just like so incredibly blown away. Um, probably because his like stats had been restored and all was well with his world and his career. But, um, but genuinely, yeah, it was, it was a really... Um, really beautiful time and a great time for us to be able to share yeah thanks for your help but my church prayed for me and this little three and a half year old did too and it was awesome did you guys say something? it must have been really amazing for you to gain your voice again it must have been like so good for you <laughs> totally was I haven't stopped talking since um so that's kind of where that story ended. And I think um, I've had some incredible reflections over that time. I think Isla was the last significant person to lay hands and, and um, just proclaim God's healing over me. And so I attribute a lot of that to her. I think um, there's been so much that, Anika, like you shared with like God, God's interested in healing the whole picture. And at the start of that five-year journey, we were praying for a family and we weren't even participating in a church family. And so the, through the course of that, we'd, we'd come back to Blueprint and we'd done a whole bunch of other things. And now we have um, a beautiful three-year-old who is sassy as all heck. And um, we live with 11 other people who are, well, not directly, but in the neighbourhood. We live in an intentional community with 11 others who love Jesus so deeply and want to make him known. Um, yeah, I think one big thing that I've been thinking in the fiction of this story is that, oh, important to note actually, so after I started using my voice again, two months later I was pregnant with Audrey, which is like incredible, right? 
yeah, we, we did not anticipate that, so that was really amazing. I think during that, that five-year time span, uh, there was what felt like a lot of unanswered prayer, and I think we can so often attribute God's timing, He wanted to be in our timing. Um, yeah, it's a hard one. Um, yeah, I can't profess to know how and why God chooses to heal when He does. And even now, I'm journeying alongside dear friends who so, so desperately need healing. And yeah, it's so bad for them. Um, I still have this autoimmune disease. I don't have any way for it to manifest itself because I don't have thyroid anymore, but I still hold the markers for it. And I uh, have treated with a synthetic thyroid replacement now. Um, and just a couple of reflections um, that stood out to me from Scripture. I think God calls us to be um, like, like the persistent widow in Luke 18. Um, to the point of like nagging, like Jesus, I need you to do this thing for me. Like, what are we going to stay up all day and all night for in seeking Him um, to answer our prayers? Um, Colossians 4 tells us to be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, giving thanks to God. Another um, incredible story from Scripture which so stood out to me, and I thought, man, I'm, I'm absolutely guilty of this in my own life. But in Luke 17, we read the story of the ten lepers who come to Jesus and they cry out to him for mercy and he tells them to go and be cleansed and when they are, they're healed. But only one of them comes back and gives thanks. Jesus asks, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine people? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? He was a Samaritan. And then he said to them, said to him, sorry, the one that came back, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Uh, so my one encouragement here would just be to um, also call to mind the ways in which God has brought healing and answered prayer in our lives, and let us continue to tell those stories of testimony, because that is incredibly powerful. And thank you for having the courage to pray for me. Thanks. And at the bottom here, after like the Leaper story, it says, Let us not be like the nine. Let us remember the faithfulness of God and offer him, him thanks and praise. That's good. Cool. We'll hand it back to, to Rose. Yeah.